the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So we come to James chapter 3, verse, 18, verse 13, and we want to study about wisdom. We want to study about the high standard, God says, the true and the false. You see, where there's genuine wisdom, there is going to be the counterfeit. The Bible tells us to be wise. It tells us to seek wisdom. And probably most of us truly believe that we really are wise. But what actually is wisdom? Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is leading us in a series of lessons from the book of James. In our last few lessons, Pastor Steve was sharing with us from the first 12 verses of chapter 3 about the power of the tongue and how to tame it. Wisdom is a closely related topic, and James went on in the next several verses to write about the two different kinds of wisdom. Let's dig in now. Here's Pastor Steve. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to make this a two-part message on wisdom, the true and the false. Come to a very important part of James that we don't want to glance over. We want to dig into and see what James has to say. I'd like you to follow with me as I read from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant, so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're only going to study verse 13 tonight. There's so much truth in that, so much practical truth in that. But picture yourself standing before God. We say this in our EE ministry and hear him say to you, if you were to die tonight and so forth. But that's not the question tonight. Picture yourself standing before God and you hear him say to you, ask what I shall give you. What do you want, my child? Now, I wonder what our request would be. Probably what would go through my mind is wealth and uh, all kinds of ambitions for myself. And probably that would go through you. Whoever snickered, I think Ed snickered. That, that's going through his mind too. But uh, if you're... If you're honest, you would at least have thoughts of that, of uh, fame. And boy, this is the opportunity I could really get back at somebody I've been waiting to. Just all, anything you want, God says. You ask, what do you want? Maybe a new car, new house, or perhaps a closer walk with the Lord. Just in general, a deeper prayer life, more Bible knowledge. You could really let your mind just fantasize all the things that you would ask for. 
But we want to come back to reality and we want to realize that this was a real question asked to a real man and God gave him a real answer. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, in verse 7, we read this. Now, David, before we read, we realize the context. David has, has died and Solomon, his son, has become king of Israel. And in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. What do you want? And Solomon said to God, Thou hast dealt with my father David with great loving kindness, and hast made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, thy promise to my father David is fulfilled, for thou hast made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people, which is a, that term, that I may go out and come in before this people, is a Hebrew idiom, meaning that I may behave myself wisely in all of my activities. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may behave myself wisely in all of these activities as I go before this people. For who can rule this great people of thine? And God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king, Wisdom and knowledge has been granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings who were before you have possessed, nor those who will come after you. But God gave him the wisdom that he wanted. God said, choose what you, what you want. Solomon said, the most important thing that I need and that I want is wisdom to rule your people. Wisdom and knowledge, they go hand in hand. And God was pleased to answer that request. And you know why God was so pleased? Because the Bible teaches that wisdom is the best thing you can have. When you have wisdom, you have everything. Proverbs 4, 7, which was written by Solomon, said this, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Proverbs 8, 11, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Wisdom is the principal thing. You see, if you're wise, you'll become a Christian. For the scriptures make us wise unto salvation. You have to, in a sense, have wisdom even before you have salvation. In that progression, wisdom is everything. When you've got wisdom, you've got it all. And wisdom, as we'll deal with probably next week even more in detail than now, is hid in Christ, in Him. Is all wisdom. But what is wisdom? You see, it's more than knowledge. There's a lot, of, a lot of people have knowledge, but it's using knowledge correctly. You can be brilliant and yet be unwise. That's the, that's the story of our society. Brilliant can get us to the moon, but can't deal with family problems. We live in a world that's full of knowledge, full of knowledge, but we don't know how to use this knowledge. Wisdom is being able, based upon knowledge, to make the right choices, the right decisions. Someone has defined the wise person as having a proper sense of values. He knows what things in life really matter, and his decisions and actions are determined accordingly. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. It goes hand in hand. Solomon said, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. 
Give me the wisdom to use the knowledge correctly. We can be so led astray. To the Old Testament Jew, knowledge and wisdom was never an end in itself. Knowledge was given so that it would have its practical outcome in obedience. You see, this is where the Jew and the Greek mind was different. So the Jew, he learned to put it into practical application. But if you study the Greeks of the first century, you see that they, were, they had a system of, of ideals. They had a system of philosophy. Uh, they never wanted to put their knowledge into concrete application. And this is why Paul really hits home when he deals in 1 Corinthians with the wisdom of this world. They were gaining knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's a debate. But the Jew never thought like that. Even if you know Jews today, Jews who are, who are not Christians, you know that, that their mind thinks in very practical terms. But the Greek didn't. But remember, James is writing to Jewish Christians who all their lives were steeped with the, with the, the thinking that wisdom is the practical aspect to life. James is so much like an Old Testament prophet. He was, a, he, he was a New Testament prophet with an Old Testament spirit in that sense, writing to New Testament Jews who've heard all of their lives about wisdom and they're right in that thinking. Knowledge isn't something up here. It's something right down here to do and to obey and to put into practical application. One commentary says this, in Jewish usage, wise describe the individual who possessed moral insight and skill in deciding practical issues of conduct, a wisdom derived from his personal knowledge of God. Now, every Christian ought to be wise. We're not always wise, Jesus said. You ought to be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. Serpents are extremely wise. I was just told by Roger Atkinson, I was talking with him just, uh, I suppose it was yesterday, and I said the other, the other week we had a frightening experience in our home. And I got a phone call. I was at an elders meeting and I got a phone call from my wife that said, guess what's in our house? A snake. And uh, I was so glad I wasn't home. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the most courageous thing I could think of. I sent Peppy home to my house. I said, I've got a meeting. Please take care of it. Anyway, he went through. There was just a room, and my wife put on my boots, and the kids were on the table, and, and uh, Pepe went in there, and uh, he took apart that toy room. It's a family room or the toy room. And he took it apart, and he even took a chair and took it apart and went everything, everywhere. And I told Roger Atkinson about that, and uh, he said, Are you sure? Which didn't comfort me when he said this. Are you sure that you got it? Boy, they're so, they're so uh, sharp, those snakes. The Bible says be wise as serpents. Serpents are sharp. God says we ought to be sharp. We ought to be wise. And it's crucial, especially to the life of a church, that those who teach you and those who teach me, not just from the pulpit, but those who have the responsibility to teach are especially wise. And what does this have to do with, with James chapter 3? You remember last time we, we dealt with this chapter, we said that specifically James is dealing with teachers. Remember back in verse 1, he says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. And then he goes on to say, the major problem a teacher has is his tongue, what he says, his words. And we dealt with that at, at some length. The power of the tongue but now James is going into another area, but he's still dealing with a teacher. 
Of course, it has application for all of us because all of us in one way or another teach. You have children, you're a teacher to your children. You're a Sunday school teacher. You, if you witness you're a teacher, in, in that sense, you're, you're teaching somebody else the gospel. If you're a trainer in EE, you are somewhat teaching, though not the same sense of teaching, not in that position of authority, but you are communicating truth. If you're a husband, you're to teach your wife to nourish her, Ephesians 5, to be nourished as Christ nourishes the church. And the only way to nourish a person spiritually is with the word of God. So all of us are teachers. If you're discipling somebody, you're a teacher. But he's, he's going into another area about a teacher. He's going to warn them of another weakness that teachers have, and that's wisdom. A teacher needs wisdom, and he warns them not to rush into the position of teacher because of their, their, not only their, what their lips say, but what their life says. That's wisdom. Does a teacher, what, what he says, he's always dealing with truth. Does a teacher obey what he says? You've heard of the expression, don't do what I do, do as I say. That's ridiculous. Nobody wants to follow anybody like that. So in verses 1 through 12, James is dealing with the teacher being careful about the words he says. But in 13 through 18, he's talking about his wisdom, the life he leads. Is that consistent with the words he says? His words and his wisdom. Does the teacher apply his teaching to his own life? That's the real issue that James is getting at. Apparently, in many of the congregations that James was, was writing to, because this was a general letter, a letter uh, there was great difficulty with the teachers. They probably had people there who shouldn't have been teaching, and these, uh, our guess is that these teachers were proud of their knowledge, they were boastful, they enjoyed disputes, they enjoyed uh, debating, they, they expressed bitterness in their discussions with their students, and James is writing to correct it. They basically, these teachers, tore down rather than building up. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, tells us about our words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's not only for a teacher, that's for you. That's for me. That's for all of us. That's the words that we say ought to build up how often we tear down. But that's, that's the other week's message. What a teacher says is only part of the story. What he does is the other part. And I think of teachers, and you, you can think of this too, and I'm sure you do, of teachers in your past who have really had an impact on your life. And you know, the ones who really have had an impact on my life, not the ones who have, who have had the greatest depth of Bible knowledge, but the ones whose lives were consistent, who I could see how the Christian life is to be lived by watching them. We forget most of the things that our teachers, says, our teachers say. It, we remember it subconsciously, but in one hour from now, you're probably going to forget a great deal that I've said today. Matter of fact, I'll probably forget it. That's why I have notes, so I go back and remember it. But it's the teachers' lives that really you remember. Their words are so important, but their life gives their words credibility. And that's what verses 13 through 18 is all about. A lifestyle of wisdom. And I think that we can use this passage to really give us guidelines for choosing teachers. This is good for, our, for, for all of us as a church to know what kind of Sunday school teachers are we looking for? 
What should our Christian education director look for when, he, when he's considering a new Sunday school teacher? What about Dr. Thomas? What should, what should Mike Thomas look for when he's considering hiring a new teacher? Or what about pastors? What should we look for in pastors and missionaries that we want to support? What guidelines do we have? Or what about a Bible college when they consider a professor or a seminary? Any teaching ministry at Lakeside, what should we be looking for in the lifestyle of a teacher? Now, obviously, they ought to know what they're saying, but what about their life? You see, we can have the wrong teachers, and we're to blame because we've never followed the blueprint laid down in the Word of God. Now, sometimes we think, but it really doesn't matter who's teaching. The truth is only what counts. And there, in a sense, is truth to that. But in another sense, it's not. Uh, there isn't truth. There's some, some validity, but not totally. We know that God will honor his word regardless of who's teaching it. Because it's his word and it never changes. But it certainly hinders the work of the Spirit of God when an ungodly person teaches his word. It hinders because success isn't based on the results that we see. Success is based upon what did God want to do? You know, we hear about men, sometimes we have a tendency to justify movements and, and we have a tendency to justify ministries because God is using it. God will use anything. That's not whether it's successful or not. The success is based upon what God wanted to do. Perhaps if a man was obedient in an area of his life, God would have blessed, not perhaps, he would have blessed more abundantly. Something isn't valid because it has success. It's valid because it's, it's in accordance with the Word of God. And the Word of God teaches throughout the Scriptures that leaders, teachers, must live up to a high standard. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but there has to be some consistency in their life. It has to be that even if they struggle in an area, it's a struggle that they want victory over. Just this week, I was thinking about the high standard that a teacher has, and he has a higher standard than others. And I came across this quote from John MacArthur, who states this, in God's basic economy in Israel, there was a, super, a separation among the people, and the people with greater responsibility had higher standards to live by. Also, along with greater responsibility came greater consequences and guilt for sin. That's why James 3.1 says, Be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. That's why our Lord said, From, from every one who has been given much shall much be required. That's Luke 12, 48. Sin bears more guilt the higher the position. This is because when a person uh, in a high position sins, its ramifications are far-reaching. A sin on the part of a, of a high priest or ruler or king had far-reaching effects. So God has established higher standards for certain people. That's throughout the Word of God. So we come to James chapter 3, verse, 18, verse 13. And we want to study about wisdom we want to study about the high standard, God says, the true and the false. You see, where there's genuine wisdom, there is going to be the counterfeit that will try to come in and masquerade itself as wisdom. And next week, we're going to deal with this more in detail. But there is so much counterfeit wisdom in Christian churches. So much of the world that has come in that we sometimes can't distinguish it. What's sometimes best for the world to do is the last thing for God's people to do. This is why an elder must be a spiritual man. A deacon must be a spiritual man because the church isn't run 
like just another business. There are some areas that are the same, but not all. So we want to look at three truths. Tonight we'll look at one truth, though, about wisdom that distinguishes the true from the false. Tonight we want to look at the characteristics of true wisdom. What is true wisdom? How does it manifest itself? Next week we'll look at the contrast of wisdoms and the consequence of true wisdom. But tonight the characteristics of wisdom. Look at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? James begins by putting his readers on the spot, just as I'm going to put you on the spot. Who is wise and understanding among you? Think about that. Now, don't raise your hand all at once. But James isn't saying that, that there isn't anybody out there who's wise and understanding, and, and I know that, that there are many who are wise and understanding. He's not denying that, nor am I. But he's simply saying, if you think you're wise and understanding, then prove it. If you think that you are a person who is wise, then prove it by your life. Don't just say you're wise. Matter of fact, when you say that, you're not wise. Let another man praise thee, the Bible says, and not your own lips. But if you think you're wise, and you think you have knowledge, then you prove it. You see, there are many who rush into leadership teaching positions with a sort of cocky know-it-all attitude that I've arrived, I've finished my moody correspondence courses, and I'm ready. Just give me the Sunday school class and let me have them. That's a poor attitude. I know because when I graduated from Moody, that was my attitude, though I didn't take their correspondence school courses. But that was my attitude. Or others think this, sure, why not? I'll teach. Nothing better to do. God says, you better think twice about this because there's a greater judgment awaiting you who teach. You see, that's rash. That's running into a field that you may not be prepared to handle. You see, my question to you is, who is wise and understanding among you? How could you know if you're wise? By the life that you live? And that's exactly what James is saying. There are certain marks of a wise person. There are certain signs, or, or as we're calling it, characteristics and the end of, of verse 13 is what we're going to focus on tonight and let you out in just a little while. He says, if you're wise and understanding, here's the test. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. That may not look like there's much depth to that verse, but there is. Let me explain. He says there are two characteristics of a truly wise person. Good behavior. When I initially read that, I thought, well, that just means he does the right thing. But you know what I discovered? I discovered in the original form of the Greek, this term meant literally to turn or to turn back. You know what God is saying? A wise person, it's used, by the way, 13 times in the New Testament, but a wise person is one who doesn't hesitate to turn back to the truth. He doesn't hesitate to alter his life to conform to the truth of Scripture. If he's wrong, he doesn't rebel. He turns around and he gets his life in order. Basically, what James is saying is he's obedient to the truth. Now, you see, God doesn't say he's perfect. God just says when he's faced with truth, he responds properly. Thinking we are wise doesn't necessarily indicate wisdom. 
We demonstrate wisdom in the way we respond to criticism and, as we'll hear on the next verse-by-verse, by the gentle way we treat others. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our study leader here on Verse by Verse. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, including service times and directions, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. I'll repeat the phone number. It's 727-441-1714. We are thankful for the listeners who generously support this radio ministry over and above their regular giving to their own churches. If you'd like to help pay for these broadcasts, we have giving information on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Or call Lakeside at the number I just gave you, 727-441-1714. Also, on the website, you can listen to or download any of the previous broadcasts in our message archive. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Have you ever debated with someone about some point of doctrine or theology and felt like you must, at all costs, convince this person that yours is the only correct view? Hmm. I confess that I have, and I wish that I had been wiser. A wise teacher remembers that the goal isn't to win the argument. It's to gently present the truth and let the Holy Spirit do the convincing. Pastor Steve will have more on the next Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.